0: Hello and welcome to Something New. I'm Owen Slot, the chief rugby correspondent of the Times, and this isn't the ruck. This is kind of the ruck's little brother making a debut on the international scene for the forthcoming weeks of the Six Nations. This is how to win a Grand Slam. This is the story, if you like, of how it's done. But I find that a bit fascinating. In the Six Nations where margins are so tight, what is the difference between success and failure? Why is it that some teams sometimes just get it all right? So these are Grand Slam tales told by four men who knew what it took. We start off this week with Brian O'Driscoll. He made his Ireland debut in 1999. It would take ten years before he captained a team to win the Grand Slam. And as he says, there were some hard, very personal tough challenges along the way. I am really uh, delighted to be sitting here with Brian O'Driscoll, who has a Grand Slam to his name. Brian, great to see you. Yeah, thanks a lot.
1: I'm glad I can partake in this <laughs> podcast.
0: We, we, your Grand Slam did take quite a long time coming, didn't it? It's it fair really to did. say.
1: It really did, yeah. You know, we were 10, well, for me, 10 years in the offing and concerned that we were going to be that nearly team bridesmaids forever, but eventually we got it across the line.
0: Mm. And um, so ju- just touch on some, some news that you've got. You just joined the board of the International Players Association.
1: Yeah, I have, yeah. Um, I, I was asked about three months ago over in Japan, and I gave it a little bit of thought. I've sat on on kind of player advisory boards within the, the Irish Players Union mm-hmm. uh, previously, and then it kind of disbanded, and then I was asked to come on board on this. To be honest with you, it it the timing was right. I felt it gives me an opportunity to still be involved at a player level, to help shape the game in some capacity and, and to come from a player's perspective which sometimes in the past has been ignored mm. uh, where the game is driven by people that haven't played the professional game and you know with the exception of Gus Pichot um, mm. it's it's a very different game that we're playing these days and,
0: and sometimes you need an understanding of to what that Entails. And Do you have a specific view of where you'd like to influence what the what the game is about at the moment? No, I think I think player welfare is obviously important. I think as well,
1: the growth of the game and the ability to be able to not make it centric to the countries we already know are strongholds mm-hmm. of international rugby.
0: So you enjoy watching Japan in the yeah, uh, but weren't <coughs> how brilliant were
1: they? Who couldn't have? Who couldn't have? And and obviously it was. Disappointing to see our you know Ireland lose to them, but if you were going to lose to someone it was yeah, that was and the, the brand it the brand on, in which they played do you know what that it, it just it was a show it was the best showcase for them and for the developing countries to see where they can go and by a, a given an opportunity to play more regularly against tier one nations um tier two will you know will improve and will expand, and mm-hmm. the game as a result will get into newer markets and that's what we're here to do it's it's a game we love it's about trying to promote it and grow it and i think you get an opportunity of doing that through sevens but hopefully that'll leak into the 15s game but it'll only happen by by tier two uh, nations getting more game
0: time against
1: more powerful teams or perceived you know (coughs) higher seeded teams and ranked teams
0: well definitely good luck with that On to the 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 main, uh, the main course, if you like, how to win a grand slam. Can we, can we go back to the start of your international career? You made your debut at age twenty. Um, exciting times! You were a bright young spark that uh, that people were excited about. The Ireland team that you were joining had, you were on the back of a pretty miserable decade. Um, they were averaging in what was the Five Nations uh, one win a season, or just slightly less than that, actually. So I'm just wondering when, when you joined the, the Ireland. Team and you, part of that setup. What what did you think you were coming into? Did you have a view on where Ireland could go, or did you have a view that Ireland weren't doing very well, or or were you just unbelievably chuffed that that you got a cap? Probably a bit of everything (laughs) in reality. I was
1: brought in from pretty pretty much from obscurity, um, from playing you know Division Three club Mm. rugby in Ireland with you know with. Um, UCD University uh, College Dublin and then all of a sudden I'm playing you know I'm playing Ireland under 20s you know I remember being dropped over or, or you know g- given the shepherd's hook in a, in the game against Wales in the under 20s where we lost to a Stephen Jones team and thinking god things aren't going great and the next mm. thing out of nowhere I'm catapulted into the bench to sit on um, you know I'm looking at my, t- my my name for an Ireland A place and I'm not in it and I'm oh god I didn't make <laughs> it this week and then all of a yeah. sudden I realize I'm in the 23 and it, that had probably come from a training session that myself and Gordon Darcy were brought into in December in 98 where you know we were given a bit of exposure a bit like what Andy Farrell's doing with some younger guys now exposure with a view to two three years time maybe mm. you'll be in be in a place to to justify being here and I guess both of us did okay in that training session you know we were both Bit wet behind the ears, didn't really understand the enormity of it all, and it was just exciting to be there. So sometimes that naivety of youth works in your side, where you don't think too long and hard about it, and don't play it over in your head, and you're just living in the moment.
0: Mm. So, so you you didn't think as a as a as a young boy sort of wanting to play rugby that uh, Ireland could do better or Ireland aren't doing very well. Or
1: we have gone through a period of time where you know, results were very poor. You know, the quality of our play wasn't consistent at all but I'd come through a Blackrock team which knew success you know mm-hmm. we'd I've been part of teams that got to semi-finals and finals and won trophies and then you know with Ireland schools we never felt as though we sh- we shouldn't win it was it was a strange scenario that under-age up to, up to 21s you always felt as though we were very competitive and then all of a sudden you, we've kind of fell off a cliff and there was no real understanding as to why that happened.
0: My, my view, uh, the, the way I thought rugby was going at the time was that it's the latter half of the 90s that professionalism comes in. Mm. And I think at that point in uh, Europe, England and France are dominating. And it seemed that that should be the natural conclusion of professionalism because they have more players and more money. Therefore, if they can get it right, they should be able to uh, hold sway year in, year out. So I thought that was, that was where rugby was set to go, which is why the advantage of, of your Ireland team, uh, Wales in particular as well, is it, so exciting. Yeah, and sometimes you
1: need a glut of players to come through in unison, and that's what ultimately what happened with Ireland. Yes, I got capped in 99, but the real changes began in, began in 2000 with the inclusion of you know, Stringer O'Gara, John Hayes uh, Shane Horgan Simon Easterby they all came in mm. uh, you know capped together against Scotland who had a terrible record against and it was their first victory for seven or eight mm. years against them and and then all of a sudden there was a realization within the squad that, that, that fed throughout that, oh, you know, these players have come in and are used to winning. So why, why change that just because you, ch- you know, step up a level? And that's a, that's a slow process to build. You got to pick off teams one, you know, it's a one-off situation rather than, you know, consistency immediately. But we eventually got there. You know, we, we beat Australia a couple of years later. We beat South Africa, I beat England. So we, we, we picked teams off one by one. And then it was just a case of trying to put it
0: all together. That became the problem, didn't it? The progress of the team from 2000 to 2008 is impressive. You got, I mean, you you were in six nations. You had four seasons in that time where you won four and lost one. So you were you were getting close, but just not quite getting over the edge.
1: Yeah, and uh, close but far away at the same time. Yeah. you know there was. You look at some of our losses. There, there was other than you know without jumping ahead of ourselves before 2007. We might have won our four games, but more often than not, our loss would have been a big loss, be it Mm. to England in the Grand Slam game in 2003. France went through a good period after we beat them in 2000. We then ended up getting on on the wrong side of a couple of hidings over in, in Stade de France. So when they were winning Grand Slam, so it felt as though we were close, but ultimately... There was a bit of a reality check at times against sides where okay, we're you know let's let's not think we're chocolate just yet. Mm. Let's um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to actually get to that point of really contesting a, a grand slam, and the and the gulf was still in existence.
0: And and for you as a as a player, Brian, now retired, we we. See your successes and your trophies, and, and you, you must have a, a nice big trophy shelf at home. With or you're probably too modest for that, but 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 you, but you accumulated quite a considerable amount of success. But for the first few years of your professional career, you actually didn't. I mean, there's there's a line from your book which I t- took out, which I think from 2008 you say, I'm, I'm 28 years old, I've been a full time rugby player almost nine seasons, and I've got one winner's medal to show for it the Celtic League in, in, in 2001 2002. So you must have been feeling, A, frustrated, and B, also wondering, is, is it actually going to happen?
1: 100%. I, you know, it, 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 that felt like a poor share of where we were as a, as a team both with Ireland and with Leinster from a talent perspective, and, and we couldn't put it together. And I thought, I'm running out of time here. I guess I probably didn't envisage getting to 35, but maybe that was part of the desire driven thereafter to, you know, to, to make those small incremental changes to, to improve and, and sometimes all you need is a little bit of change and a bit of focus to help you along the way. We all talk about the margins between success and failure being tiny and that is absolutely the case at Six Nations in European rugby. There's nothing between one, two, three and four. So you just sometimes need a little bit of luck but also you've got to give yourself an opportunity to get that luck and I think that's where the focus really came in my later 20s, kind of 27, 28, I really became a much better professional, um, Understand, understood what was expected of me and, and the knock-on effect to younger players coming through and be, ha- having that leadership role and that um, senior player role as to visually what it was going to be like for the future of Leinster and for Ireland
0: too. Did you say you were um, becoming more professional? You felt you were getting better in that respect? But to my understanding, as 2008, as 2009 dawned, which was, which was your year your grandson 2008 was a was a, a pretty hard year for you um you you felt you you wondered if your game was starting to to leave you as if if your better years had already gone and i think you doubted your position of captain of the ireland team as well yeah i think that's fair to say it.
1: you know it's well documented um i went through a
0: really poor run of form
1: after the World Cup in 2007 where I could have been in better shape for it you know there was this huge focus on being massive Ireland had France and Argentina in their group so we needed to be big and I took that to heart I was big (laughs) and um, lifting you know the heaviest weights I've ever lifted but not afraid of getting the calories in on top of it. So um, when I look to what I played, and I know the game goes through cycles, but I look at playing at 98 kilos at times in that World Cup where... You know, my fighting weight at the end was ninety three, ninety four. That's quite a lot of weight to be carrying.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did I, you feel <laughs> at the time that you were too heavy? Did you think maybe that's why it's not quite working? No,
1: not really. Like I probably felt I was a fraction heavy, but I, I, there was definitely a focus of being bigger and being collision winners. That was it was almost ingrained into our psyche that we've got to be able to physically mm. match these players. And you know, the World Cup lead up, we we got it wrong, but there was. we'd barely touched the ball for six weeks because we had to be huge we had to be strong we had to be really yeah we had to be aggressive and be able to deal with the packs and the size of of, uh, the Argentinian forwards and, and French forwards that we knew were coming at us so it's funny that you can be manipulated into thinking a particular way depending on your opposition. That shouldn't be the case. You should you should be, you know, internally focused first, and and secondary, you know, focus should be on opposition. And I suppose that part of that comes with um, understanding professionalism, understanding how the game is evolving too. Um, and then I went into uh, 2008. You know, I had an okay World Cup, and personally, and. You know, I wasn't. I didn't have a howler, but I wasn't particularly good. We fell out in the group stage, um, and then I had a run of injuries. I couldn't. I couldn't get any. Form together I had a couple of personal disappointments and then you, you know some doubts started coming in about the captaincy whether you know I'd run it it had run its course am I still able to do it do the players still want me to do it mm-hmm. yeah like all things those negative thoughts feed one another uh, a bit like it mirrors life you know where something bad goes and all of a sudden two other negative things hmm. start becoming apparent um so it's trying to stop that snowball effect and, and remind yourself that, you know, your best days aren't behind you. And I went and saw a sports psychologist and he was very helpful. And Michael Cheka in Leinster was very helpful and just gave me a bit of guidance to get myself back on track.
0: On the captaincy front, I think that was probably your, your thinking was, was influenced by the whole Leinster-Munster thing. Munster was, was uh, in those days, was the successful Irish province and, and Leinster wasn't. Uh, and that presumably put your back up a bit. Munster was, had the, the great leader of Paul O'Connell there and and you, rightly or wrongly, you felt he was breathing down your neck in terms of the captaincy, didn't you? Yeah,
1: like my, I think we've always had a very
0: healthy competitiveness, myself
1: and Paulie, and I'm sure he had aspirations to be Ireland captain throughout that period, but he he was nothing but helpful but at the same time in being helpful if you have some doubts you, you know you're wary as to as to someone's position as they prosper as well which was definitely the case with Munster we were playing a lot of their brand in our, in Ireland you know, most of our pack was the Munster yeah. pack six or seven of them and you know we had then Raj and, and Peter Stringer as well mm-hmm. so all of a sudden it, it's the nucleus or the you know the core group of, of the Irish team is the Munster team so try, trying to be captain of that where they're listening to a voice most of the time of Paul O'Connell and Ron O'Gara to then try and come in and be a strong voice yourself is not an easy thing to do it's probably a little bit intimidating is the wrong word because I've been there long enough but it's it felt as though you're you're coming you weren't coming from a position of power um so yeah something had to change in my own head and I really had to get my own game in in order to then justify maintaining the captaincy and being able to to show that leadership, particularly on the field, whatever about the off-the-field stuff, captaincy, a huge amount of it is about the way you play as a player mm. and justify your selection first and foremost.
0: And, and you, But you went to the extent of asking for reassurance. You went to Ron O'Gara and you said, do you, do you think I'm still the right guy, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, and... And sometimes you can get lost, and then I, I've seen it as well with, with Leinster with the successes too, sometimes you can get lost in your provincial success mm-hmm. and not see the bigger picture of Ireland where there's o- there are other players to add huge value to the international team. And as much as Munster were very successful during that period, we had some real standout performers that, that weren't having the opportunity to shine within Leinster and Ulster mm. and um, less so Connacht at that time. So you can't, yeah, you you can't be closed-minded, and so. But I wanted to ask, out of great relationship with Raj, and like he could be honest and and frank with me, and Uh, and give me something
0: that he's quite good at: honest, honesty, (laughs) and frankness.
1: I know that he's not going to. He's going to give it to me as it is, and and I've. I think when you go and ask someone like him for their opinion on it, you could go and ask other people and. And expect them to tell you what you wanted to hear. Yeah. Uh, th- that's wasting your time. Yeah. Whereas I knew going to him, I'd, I'd get the truth and I'd get a good version of it. So, and what was it he said to you? He he kind of said, "I think you you are, but I think you need to get a little bit fitter." And that kind of that stings a bit. But then I think we're good at, per- at taking feedback, and in, in, um, particularly from our colleagues hmm. in rugby. I think that's one of the so you had a point then. I was like, well, I was big at that. I was. Are oh, still was, big? I, at no. Well, I was coming down, and then the next evolution of the game was coming, where it was going to be a little bit faster. And he, I was like, he's right. I need to be, I need to be leaner here, and I need to go back to the core of what I've been good at. And no, I'm not a collision winner. I'm someone that beats people, you know, with footwork and on an outside break. So I've got to make that a real focus again. And I just, t- I took it to heart, and I just started. Again, improving five or six percent on everything on hydration, on my um, nutrition, on extras of training, on you know, reduction of alcohol, and, and everything just got a little bit better.
0: And through that period of, of self doubt, if you like, Brian, you, you were also rocked by a totally different situation where you lost uh, one of your best friends, Barry. I mean, yeah. that was a, a terrible thing to, to have to go through, clearly. Uh, yeah, it was,
1: I think, the shock factor of it as well when it came out of nowhere. I'd seen other people affected by by suicide, but you don't think it's going to happen to you. And uh, yeah, Barry and myself had lived together for three or four years, and <clears throat> he was the life and soul of the party, um, as as many people in that situation are, and there's no telltale signs, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, um, he's, he's not with you anymore, and uh, that really did rock me as well. Probably copper fastened how I was feeling at that time it's you know it's not relevant to to rugby because it's just a, it's just living without a friend but but it exacerbated mm. the, the mental strain that I was under in my in my work as well so yeah it was a it was an incredibly hard time, certainly for the first year or two and um yeah you can't still
0: can't make sense of it did the sports site that you were seeing did, did he help you with that did that or
1: not really he left that alone he kind of just kept it very specific to the to the actual rugby mm. side of things i kind of just had to deal with that myself I, I didn't go never went and got any counseling for for, yeah. his, for his death or anything yeah I, I it's it's one it's one that i still 10 or 11 years later i think about it occasionally but it's it flummoxes you and i don't think it does any good for you when you don't understand it and um it was a hard time
0: what you're describing uh, uh, someone in their mid late 20s having self-doubt not really sure where they're going if they're heading in the right direction and, and then finding things in their young adult life really challenging them was clearly a big challenge for you but not unusual lots of people have challenges such as that in in their in their young adulthood but but for you Brian did, did you feel it was particularly hard in that you were a public figure you were captain of Ireland and you had to march around as if you were on top of everything you couldn't tell people that you weren't sure where your game was going or that you were worried that Paul O'Connell might usurp you and take the captaincy I think there's
1: I think that level of scrutiny definitely adds to it you know something else that that I wrote about in in my book you know that was hanging over me again was this court case over in New York where I'd been
0: wrongly Arrested
1: for something that I'd never done, and that that's was, a great
0: chapter in the book, by the way. If anyone hasn't uh, quite got there yet, we won't, won't dig out. I well, was, was,
1: I was, you know, I felt really lucky that I had good friends that were there at the time. That somehow that was kept under, hmm. on, you know, under lock and key, and that I was able to talk about it the way it happened in my terms, and and I didn't have to offer it. I could have. Yeah. That could have been put away forever, but I thought it was an important part in in the journey, particularly around that time as well. And yeah, it was a, that was a big old. Experience. So, so you were a
0: captain, and you were worried that, the, that it was going well, to leak into the media yeah. that, that you'd been arrested yeah. in New York, and, and
1: and then it was it was it was it the straw that broke the camel's back that okay, that's enough, enough. All right, time for something new. Yeah, and I think during all that period, you know, I'd met my my wife in late two thousand and six, and this all started happening. You know. 2007 2008 and i think i i think she was a real source of comfort for trying to turn things around i think and for me for helping me to be a better pro as well of understanding the necessity of of what was expected of me Mm -hmm. as well i look back to that period and you do need really good foundations to change things and i think she provided them
0: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You go into 2009. Uh, do, do you have a feeling at the, at the, before the Six Nations that things are better, that this, the, this could be a year? Or just on the back of what we've said, do you feel that you were getting through that? Or did the Grand Slam season sort of happen of its own accord? I think it probably
1: happened of its own accord. You know, two years previously, we should have won the Grand Slam in 2007, hmm. um, where we lost out to a last-minute try to France and, and managed to, to beat everyone else. We lost out to the championship you know, in the dying seconds of, of of the French game, which was the final game that weekend. Where an Irish TMO, who'll remain nameless, uh, gave a contentious <laughs> try to um, Elvis from Mulan. Um And I remember watching it in the hotel in in, um, in Rome. And, you know, that would have felt like a great stepping stone of winning a championship first to mm. the, before eventually winning a, a Grand Slam. But it wasn't to be. Uh, the second game we played, um, we played Italy. So we beat France at home and then we beat Italy and... That was the order, but I remember.
0: That, stink- that was, that's correct,
1: Yeah, yeah I remember being in Rome, and you know, went out after the second night in Rome. That's your opportunity. Whereas before, you know, five six years earlier, you'd be night after France game, you know, and then out after after Italy and it seems it seems kind of ridiculous that that would have been the case but it was we were still behaving somewhat like amateurs so we you know would have kept our powder dry and then you have a few drinks on after the Italian game and I remember being in the bar talking to T- Tommaso O'Leary our scrum half at the time and him say, kind of laughing and going "Geez, you dopes have been at this for 10 years you need a couple <laughs> of us you know, some of the young blood to come in and teach you how to win a Grand Slam and it, it genuinely filled me with confidence. It yeah. was weird that I was like, "This guy doesn't care." There's no pressure on him. He doesn't feel that. And you, there was there'd been an injection of a couple of younger lads coming through that re- we really felt as though we're going to help harness, you know, the you know the, our best rugby. And and it, it stuck with me. I thought over the course as we, as the Six Nations developed, I thought geez, he could be right here. He could be right. And it just, it felt like it was an extra injection of confidence that I personally needed as well. But like all things, Six Nations is about about building, you know. You don't win it in game one or two, but... um, But that's where you get your momentum.
0: Did you feel uh, a confidence growing in your own game? Against France, you scored a Brian O'Driscoll try of of kind of the earlier O'Driscoll, you know, the the outside break, the the footwork and the speed rather than a collision, as you say. Italy, an intercept try, and and you've been struggling to get on the score sheet for a while. So was that all part of the process
1: yeah it was i'd I'd had a focus and and when i spoke sat down and spoke to michael checker in late 2008 i set out some goals and one of the goals was to be nominated as world player of the year in 2009 and i did kind of i wasn't one for writing it down but we talked about it and he said that's that's where you should be at of trying to get back to that standard Mm. and i thought and that for me was a real was a real focus of that year of trying to individually play my best and try try to be a catalyst for others as well, so i was I was very focused on my own performances, being back to a standard that I would have expected and then when you 're getting on the score sheet when you score in the first game against France and a, and a good one, you kind of that really does f- fill you with that confidence that maybe you are back where you 're at and then reading the game well against Italy and picking up an intercept try. Which you know is adding to that points difference as well. Really important. Those things definitely work in your favour of of just carrying that momentum through.
0: Mm. And, and that, so the, the th- third game, which was well, they're all massive games, but the third game was England at Croke Park. Mm-hmm. By then, there was a confidence in the team.
1: Yeah, there was. Obviously, we'd we'd had the the uh, historic game against England in two thousand and seven in Croke Park. So second time round, they were, weren't going to be caught on the hop. So we knew. It was going to have to be a, a really good performance. I, it was quite a grind, as it often is against England. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but we just fronted up, and I think you take such huge satisfaction. People love watching, you know, the wide, wide game, open, free-flowing rugby. But sometimes, as a player, you get more satisfaction from the, the, from grinding those games out and the games that take a huge physical toll on you and are an arm wrestle I think when you come out on the right side of those results I think from a player perspective in the dressing room you take a huge sense Mm. of satisfaction of knowing what it's taken to properly roll your sleeves up and, and get it done so um, yeah, that, that game was important. I took a couple of knocks to the head in that one and felt a bit fuzzy. I probably wouldn't have finished the game in, in, the, modern you know, era. in the modern era. Right. And that, but I got an important score as well. So all of a sudden, you know, within three games, I've scored three tries, and that's that's huge to your focus and and any self doubt you know would have been eradicated at that stage. Mm.
0: So Scotland was fourth at uh, when you, when you got past Scotland, sort of by hook or by crook, I think. Yeah. Then, then you find yourself in a Grand Slam game. Your history and reputations and everything that you work for is on the line again. I mean, you, you leading up to that game in, against Wales in Cardiff, they, did you feel huge pressure, or did you feel like Tomos O'Leary and? Uh, this is quite fun and let's... Uh
1: I, I think we felt more pressure against Scotland than we did against oh, Wales. Really? I think Scotland was... There was an expectation to get to a Grand Slam game and over in Murrayfield, Scotland would love to be that banana skin as they have been yeah. on many occasions. And I remember, no one really thinks about this, but as much as I scored four tries in, in that year Six Nations, I think the most important moment in the whole thing was just before half time in the Scotland game. There was a chip through, and Tom Evans gathered it and offloaded it to Godwin, who on his shoulder. And I was trekking back, and I remember thinking, "I better get there early, rest early. You know, work hard, work work early, rest late." And I remember thinking, "Don't be don't be a slouch here. Don't take the easy option." And I chased it, and Godwin picked up a. Uh, pop pass from Tom Evans and was just about to score in the corner and I literally got him in the corner and that would have been them up eight or nine mm. at half time. and I just remember thinking if we manage to win this game that's a huge moment and th- I take more satisfaction in that than I do the try against France or the one against Wales Yeah, and um, they're important scores and people remember them but it's it's those sort of moments that you realise the game's on a knife edge Mm. And if you can make a difference there, that's for me, you know, leadership, and that's the difference between success and failure. It's funny; people brush over the Scotland game as a bit of a non-event, but yeah, I really, tried to, it was really, it was really, it was mentally much more challenging that game because the expectation was the way we were playing to get it done, and then have a Grand Slam game against Wales. That's not always the case. You, because teams become unstuck so often mm. with one eye. You know, but
0: it a, must, a The ahead. pressure must have been great against Wales. Though. I mean, you're saying it, it wasn't. But no, it was. Obviously.
1: It was great, but of course, there's a pressure. We'd we been involved in a Grand Slam game six years previously, where we got annihilated by a much better team who went on and won the World Cup. We knew that there was nothing between ourselves and Wales, mm. and and that has been the case for 15, 20 years, where it's been nip, nip and tuck, yeah. and, and they probably won the bigger games over the course of that time. So, when we went 6-0 down and it just wasn't quite happening for us we just we we we, we realized that's just relax and enjoy this a little bit you know, i think we were quite tense in the first half and really trying to force and get that lead so we could you know so we could relax but sometimes you have to have fun to be able to do that and it's a difficult thing to do in stressful situations to have fun but we we thought Let's express ourselves and let's try and you know score the tries that we know we're capable of. And I think when you come out at half time and you have that purple patch, and you <clears> score two quick tries, that obviously immediately takes the pressure off, and and then you kind of get into your game.
0: The great thing about the Wales game is you thought you'd lost it, didn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah. We so you, it was, you were
0: fifteen seven uh, up, and then in the last minute, of the game penalty to Wales. Stephen Jones standing over a ball that you that you think he's going to
1: kick? Well, even before that, it's you know it's the Stephen Jones drop goal to put them in the lead with five, six minutes to go. And then we managed to conjure an opportunity for Raj to knock over a drop goal, a hmm. huge drop goal with three minutes to go. And then it's... It was a
0: great seesawing finish. Yeah, it? it
1: was. And then it's don't give away a penalty. Whatever you do, don't give them yeah. a shot at goal. Because Stephen Jones would been knocking them over for fun that yeah. day. And then, sure enough, we give a penalty away just inside the halfway. And I... I kind of thought, that is really brutal. That is so brutal that we're going to miss out. We're going to win the championship, but we're going to miss out on a Grand Slam Mm. because of ill discipline. And I went to my usual position on penalty kicks on the right-hand post, the rebound coming off, staying in field, And I kind of just, I didn't say a little prayer, but I just thought, if there's any justice, (laughs) um, you know, Because I I didn't think that he would, I didn't think it would be short, and I didn't think he'd he'd lack accuracy. So I I, I didn't know what I was expecting or what I was looking for. But I remember him kicking it, and and it was sailing over. And Paul O'Connell was on the twenty-two, and it was sailing over his head. And Jordan Murphy was under the posts. And I remember about five yards out, Paulie kind of started running back up field. I was like, "Where's he off to?" And then I realised that it was super tight, and underneath the post was was Jordan Murphy just to, to catch it, um, and you know a safer pair of hands you couldn't have asked for mm. to 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 catch that. And then he started running to the to the sideline, and I am looking up and see the clock has gone, you know, red, and I am literally herring it over to him to tell him to get rid of the ball, yeah. um, and then he hoofed it up into the stand, and then just this, it's not a it's not an excitement, it's not a delight, it's just this huge, huge, overwhelming sense of relief. And thanks be to God we have won.
0: <laughs> At what stage did we what stage did happiness kick in then? In the dressing room
1: after I yeah. think you, you know you enjoy, you know, going round and celebrating with everyone and high fiving and hugging everyone and and then obviously the getting to lift the trophy and getting that from our president who had you know, who I had a good relationship with over the course of, of her tenure. And so those sort of things were, you know, that's, that's really fab. Yeah. It's a, that's a great time. You want it to last forever and the, and the um, lap of honour. And then just that's, that sense of satisfaction in the dressing room, sitting in your unit in the, in the Millennium Stadium. It's quite a generous dressing room. And I remember sitting there not long after we got in there and it was quite quiet. Wasn't jumping around and champagne and everything. It was just that sense of we don't no no need for words, and that's that's something that I miss most about the game. Now that that we got it done, we are really the only ones that know what it's like. The coaching staff don't even know what it's taken. They've watched mm-hmm. it, but they don't know what it's taken out there. So you're in a mm-hmm. very very select group of people to fully understand what it's entailed to get
0: the job done. You already said that the the margins between success and failure is so small, but the the finish of that game just exemplifies that. As you you said if Stephen Jones had a couple more meters on that kick or whatever.
1: I'd say a meter, yeah. I'd say it was it dropped two feet, three feet short of of the of the crossbar. Um so yeah, it's it seems it seems wrong that it could be you know, we would have been written off as a team, as chokers, and everything. But the, that margin yeah. between, and all of a sudden, people, that was look, different people and are, chokers. Are, yeah, yeah and, lauding, and lauding us for being, you know, the country's saviours at that time, where there was obviously the recession, and and that, it, and people have said it was, you know, country's saviours a bit, is a bit ott. But but that it was a real positive focal point for people to. Be able to look towards at a time of, of adversity, and mm. I think that's what we took huge satisfaction out of as well—that right. we were able to offer something—a break away from pretty depressing time
0: uh, in Ireland. Mm. And, and Brian, when you when you look at that two thousand nine, if you're asked why that year and no other year, what what was different then to before? You you had a new coach, but I I, I think you're going to tell me, even though the Declan Kidney did a good job, it wasn't specifically him that was a difference. Was it? Was it one of those stories where failure breeds success? You learn from failure, or I mean, what, what do you think? What did it?
1: I think a bit of luck. <laughs> genuinely, I think we should have won it in 07. We really should have. We had a good team then, and we had a good team in 09, But we got our breaks. You know, we got our break where, genuinely, I, I was in the right place for the Scotland game. That was an important one. We muscled up against England, and we we got our luck against Stephen Jones' tired legs in the final, in the final kick of the game of the whole championship. So it was it's the, they, that's the difference. You you've I I don't want to shortchange ourselves, but in other years where you think it's you've done everything right, but you just don't get a little bit of lady luck. And we didn't get any luck against France in in oh seven. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the ones that put it, you know that hurt us so. It, come, it swings in roundabouts and I genuinely feel we, we worked for our luck, but we, yeah
0: maybe we accumulated it over those 10-year period and got it all in one year. That's what, what I like about the way you tell the story is, is we like to look at success and, and you know, there's, a, there's a whole sort of profession. There's, a, there's books uh, that could fill a whole bookshop on how and why people are successful in all walks of life. You spent 10 years trying to get a grand slam and and you you finally got one. And There's there's no real key. It was just that that was your year and things went your way.
1: Yeah, we didn't do anything drastically different. We worked as hard and we had the same focus as we would have in, in three, four, five years prior to that. But we just did the right things at the right time. And it's hard to... You could find a way to contrive a rationale for something happening mm. from a and put in a textbook but i don't think don't think that would be truthful i think <laughs> i think we did we went through the same processes that we had done pr- previously and we just didn't make the mistakes like we had done before and and we got a bit fortunate in in the places where we'd faltered in the past so phew, that's not i'm not trying i'm not going to try and overegg it <laughs> one final thing so the uh, the stresses of the whole grand slam took definitely took its toll because that night i wasn't able to go to the dinner and um and you know give my post match speech as you always would um against the opposition then in the hilton hotel in cardiff i was in bed getting sick <coughs> in the toilet from, really yeah from, i had vertigo
0: and and that wasn't because you'd been drinking Straight off the game I hadn't touched, I'd had a sip of champagne, but that would have
1: been it. But now I just, the body just shut down. And obviously the stresses had accumulated and I hadn't let them come into effect. But then as soon as, as soon as it's over, it used to happen with all Six Nations that I, you know, the body would shut down after a while. I used to get cold sores. It's like you're fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. And then all of a sudden when the final whistle goes and and the body relaxes, it, it gives a reason to be able to, be its true self. Yes. And so you missed the night so of I your miss, professional life. No, the next night was even better. Oh, okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, and I you? was in great shape for us. <laughs> well done, good comeback.
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah, that it just shows that yeah, you you can. I look back on on that, and I you know I don't feel as though I missed, missed anything that night because I had the memory. I woke up the next day with a trophy in the room. And that's, that's the real satisfaction. It's not in the nights out with random people. The next day when you're hanging out with your teammates and, you know, we're back in a hotel in, in Dublin and then we went out as a collective together there, the really special moments of getting
0: to spend proper time with one another. Yeah. Brian, two final questions. If you had to pick one player who um, you would have by your side in a Grand Slam campaign, who would it be?
1: Oh, one player. I think it would have to be Paul O'Connell. Just because all the years that I would have played against him, he was such an incredibly difficult competitor. So when I got to be in the same team as him, I just felt as though we'd more of a fighting chance with him in in our pack. Obviously, because of the caliber of player that he was himself, but his ability to pull a team together and get players to play beyond their ability. I think is what set him apart in in packs that I was in, you know, teams that I was involved in, where he was a leader of the pack or whether he was captain, and yeah, someone that just never took a backward step. I look to the Grand Slam and him being an integral part of it was absolutely vital to our success.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, I, I I think I'm not even sure if you can answer this, but if you had to give uh, one piece of advice, one tip as to how to win a Grand Slam, to um, any today, the captains leading their their teams out for this Six Nations, you, you need to be lucky, by the sounds of it. Yeah, you
1: do. Don't, the obvious one, don't lose the first one. Yeah, <laughs> no, but but I think put yourself in a position. You know, all you can you can't guarantee success in life. You never can. Even the best teams and the best businesses can't guarantee success. All you can hope for is put yourself in a position to get that little bit of luck and get the good fortune and be within touching distance of others because there'll be a few in the reckoning. You know, there's very few runaway winners in, in, in even in Six Nations, even with six teams. Mm. Very few. So it's why it's so hard. People are like, oh, it's, it's only winning five games. It's so tough to do, to win five games on the bounce. And the calibre of the teams where one team is weakened, another side comes along and and really shows signs of strength. So I would say just stay in the fight and even when it's not going well for you give yourself a chance of winning those tight ones and then you've
0: got every hope so that was Brian O'Driscoll thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed it if you did feel free to spread the word now the Ruck our regular podcast will be back on Monday after the second round of the Six Nations how to win a Grand Slam part two follows next Thursday where my guest is Will Carling You can download any of it on ACAS or iTunes. See you then.